Let's open our Bibles together to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 easily could form a sermon series of its own. I recall in my previous congregation uh, preaching a three-part sermon series through each of these temptations that Jesus faces. But today we will look at all three in, in one message during this series on pilgrimage. And um, we're thinking about how we are on our way. Uh, last week we considered where we are on our way from, hearing the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the connections that that has to what we are called out of in this world out of sin, out of death. We're called out of being slaves to sin and into a life of of following Christ. And so as I uh, continue to teach on this theme of pilgrimage, I want to be really clear that we don't don't undertake this, this pilgrimage, this journey of faith, of following Jesus in order to achieve salvation. Uh, That is one of the great errors of the church throughout the ages, that people would be told, if you make a journey or if you do this thing, then you'll have a special kind of forgiveness for your sins. That's not what I'm ever encouraging uh, as we think about pilgrimage or even as as you hear about the pilgrimage I'm about to undertake to go to various um, sacred sites, you might say, in, in Europe in a few weeks. But we think about this theme of pilgrimage as um, what does the road look like from salvation? I know I've said before, good works are not the road to salvation. That's the work of Christ. But good works are on the road from salvation. And so as we're born again in Christ, after this happens, after we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, given new hearts, made into new creations, where do we go? How do we live? Today, we'll think about the dangers on that path. Next Sunday, we'll think about the blessings that we'll find on that path. And so uh, you can think of this little part of the sermon series as as almost like a two-parter within the series. Again, today is the dangers, the temptations that we'll face even after being born again, after being regenerate by the work of the Spirit, how will, we need, or how will we endure temptation? The next Sunday in Psalm 128, we'll think a lot about the blessings that God provides for us, his people, along the way. So, just as with last week's message, I, uh, where I was heavily influenced by another sermon, a sermon preached 150 years ago by J.C. Ryle, uh, today I am heavily influenced also. I want to give credit where credit is due to the Roman Catholic priest Henry Nouwen, who wrote a book called In the Name of Jesus about the three temptations that Jesus faced and how uh, a Christian faces those very same temptations in our life. And so again, the book is In the Name of Jesus and um, it really benefited me greatly in the preparation of my sermon. I want to recognize his good work. Um, Now let's look though at the passage itself, the Holy Word of God, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. This is after Jesus' baptism. We read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, 
It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, when you follow Jesus, you will be tempted in the same ways that he was tempted. Let's just begin, as we consider this passage, by recognizing that reality. You will be tempted. I will be tempted every day. The Christian life, because of temptation, will be a difficult life in many ways. You will have spiritual obstacles to overcome. You will face complicated moral situations. I think particularly of this time of year where young people, graduating seniors from high school and from college, are looking forward to how life is going to go for them. And if that describes you or or somebody in your life, um, you could spend some time in prayer recognizing there's going to be temptation in my future. It's easy to focus on the blessings that are ahead while getting distracted off of the real temptations that we're going to face. Whenever we endure times of change and go through moments of change. This is maybe a time of grief for some, maybe a, a job change or a life situation is changing. There's, there's a, an opportunity to, to look ahead, uh, perhaps with hope in some ways, but also we need to recognize that in those, those shifting moments of our lives, there's going to be moments of temptation as well. And Jesus is in one of those moments in his own life and in his ministry He's just been baptized and, and uh, blessed by the Holy Spirit. And the word of God the Father has been proclaimed over him that, that Jesus is the Son of God and that the disciples and all those who follow should listen to him. And, and right after this transitional moment in Jesus' life, he's led out into the desert, we find in this passage, to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus was in this passage, not only in a literal wilderness, but in a spiritual wilderness as well. There's a connection here between Jesus' physical situation and his spiritual condition. Jesus was fasting. He was tired. He was hungry and thirsty. And with this physical reality comes temptation to sin. When you are in a wilderness like that, perhaps the wilderness for you is grief, perhaps the the spiritual wilderness is financial stress, 
Maybe it's just exhaustion from working hard, from caring for children. It could be just the, the, the wilderness of kind of the regular routines of life and feeling kind of stale in your spiritual life. If that describes you, you will be tempted to doubt God and to sin against Him in all kinds of ways. So if this describes you now, you will be tempted to not want to hear a sermon about temptation. It's kind of a, a strange thing to think about at times, but, but you will be tempted to think, what I, what I need is kind of a pick-me-up. Just an encouragement. Just those Bible verses that, that tell me how good everything's going to be. And certainly there is a time for hearing those passages, encouraging passages that God is our shepherd, that God gives life, that in, in Him we have life that's everlasting. We need those passages and we need those reminders, but we also need a serious look at temptation itself. When Jesus was in the desert, He did not need a smiley preacher to come to Him and tell Him to believe in His dreams. And neither do you when you're facing the devil, when you're facing temptation. When you're in a spiritual battle, you need to recognize the seriousness of that battle. We thought about that a lot last week. We'll think about it also again today. And so let's examine how the devil attacked Christ, how Christ overcame the devil, and how we too might resist the devil and flee from him so that he also will flee from us whenever we are in this wilderness that God brings us through. The first temptation, the uh, Roman Catholic priest Henry Nouwen calls this the temptation of relevance. And so we can reread verses 3 through 4 and think about how this is a temptation toward relevance. The tempter came to Jesus and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus here was extremely hungry and was tired, but he still needed spiritual food, the spiritual food of communion with his Father, even more than he needed physical sustenance. Each of us will be tempted to allow the practical things of life to distract us from our real spiritual needs. Each of us will be tempted towards worry, towards busyness, towards trying to fix things ourselves or trying to find solutions in the physical world, sometimes at the expense of asking the simple spiritual questions. What is happening in my heart right now? Am I right with God? Do I desire to listen to the voice of God in the wilderness? Brothers and sisters, when you are weary from living in the wilderness, you need the Word of God. You need to hear the Word of God. Read the Word of God. And this also would encapsulate times of prayer. And so I think that's really wrapped up in Jesus' answer. It's not just a hearing the Word of God, but, but the Word of God, I think in this context, also refers to rich times of Prayer, where in prayer you're hearing the Word of God um, through His Spirit and hopefully also praying prayers that are in line with God's Word. 
So, I could ask a, a simple question that I think could reveal where we are seeking solutions so often. So I want to ask you this morning, what do you do more often? Eat or pray? Physically eat food? Or spiritually seek nourishment from the Word of God? What is more likely to happen for you? A day without food or a day without reading the Bible? This isn't just a a personal temptation for each of us, but there is a strong pull for a church, including this congregation, to choose relevance at the expense of holding on to the Word of God. To choose relevance, what seems to be urgent right now, what seems to be right in front of us, that seems so important, can overshadow at times our spiritual health, the centrality of the Word of God for what we really need. Fear is so often connected to this temptation. Jesus could have wondered, what if I die because I haven't eaten food for 40 days? Or you have another scenario later in the Gospels where there's a storm and Jesus is sleeping in the boat and the disciples come to him because they're afraid they're going to die. And they say, Jesus, don't you care about us? With this temptation often comes fear. The fear of something, of needing a change for your own preservation. You might be afraid of what could happen if you work less in order to tend to your spiritual health. You might be afraid of what could happen if you have less money because you're working less so that you can do what God calls you to do or perhaps even um, come to worship. A church could be motivated by fear of becoming irrelevant. Uh, In my denominational meetings this past week, I heard some people who were very afraid that young people were leaving their church and even some of those people saying those things were suggesting we need to change our theology, we need to change our ethics, especially concerning sexual ethics because the young people seem to be leaving a lot of our churches. Again, fear uh, corresponding to a rejection of the Word of God in the name of trying to be relevant. A church could be motivated by fear. And that fear is just a short step away from discarding the Word of God, from discarding prayer, and moving towards more appealing things, you might say, in a worldly sense. But we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The good news within this response of Jesus is that God is generous in providing his word to us. That God is always generous in giving us what we need spiritually. John 6, verse 63, Jesus has this great statement. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are in a wilderness, God has a word for you today. If you're in a wilderness, God will give a word for you tomorrow. And so when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, hopefully you would pray that, not just thinking of the physical nourishment that you need, but man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes 
from the mouth of God. And, and Jesus even refers to himself as the bread of life. And so give us this day our daily bread, the bread of life, the word of God. Temptation number two, we can call the temptation of spectacle, of something spectacular, of the miraculous. Rereading verses 5 through 7, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, even before we consider the temptation itself, we need to recognize the devil's tactic. That here in the second temptation, the devil uses the Bible in an attempt to convince Jesus to sin. We need to pause for a moment and consider that tactic of the devil used against Christ and used very regularly against the church and against you today. The devil knows the Bible. The devil can misuse the Bible in a crafty and um, sort of tricky way so that it can seem like we would have at times permission to sin. The Bible is absolutely true, and all of it, every verse is useful, useful to us for for teaching and, and training us up in righteousness, but even though the Bible is true, every word of it, the truth of the Bible can be twisted, misapplied, misconstrued. This happens with all kinds of things in our world and not just the Word of God. You can think of, I have a little object lesson today. Think of something like this, a drill, okay? A drill is designed to be constructive, isn't it? And so just about anybody um, would see a drill and think of the things that you possibly could build with a drill. You would maybe um, unscrew something and and repair it. Um, You would put something together, maybe some furniture that you've bought, and so a drill is, is meant to be putting things together, but in the hands of a foolish or evil person, a drill could be used just to destroy things. And that's what the devil does with everything. He takes what is good, turning it into something that is destructive. For example, knowledge is good. It's good to seek knowledge of God. It's good to learn about things in this world, to study science and history and psychology and and all kinds of fields of study. It's good to gain knowledge, but the devil convinces people to put their trust in knowledge instead of setting their minds on God. He twists that good thing so that people would trust in it more than God. Or you would have the example of sex. Sex is good. The Bible is so clear. But hasn't the devil found ways to twist that good thing in countless ways? Even something as, as regular as an airplane. The devil twisted the minds of some to, to think of an airplane not as a way of getting from here to there, but, but to crash airplanes into buildings using them as weapons, killing thousands of people. The devil tempts people to use the powerful potential of the internet 
to ruin people's lives through distraction, through pornography, through bullying, through gambling. And he even twists the words of the Bible, which can be misapplied, and when misapplied, will be destructive and not constructive. How does he do this in the second temptation? He essentially tells Jesus a couple true things, Bible verses, and then twists it into a temptation. He he basically tells Jesus, God can do spectacular things. It's true. And he tells Jesus, you have an urgent need right now, which is also true. And the twist comes where he says, wouldn't it be great if the Father miraculously provides for your physical safety? If you would put yourself into a situation where, where the Father would have to do something spectacular and miraculous. And we could think about this in our own lives. Why do we want something spectacular to happen? Why do we want God to do perhaps a miracle among us? It could be for the glory of God to be seen in the world, and that would be a good thing. But it could also be that our faith is weak. And thinking that we would just need to God, God to do a spectacular, miraculous thing, then we would really have a stronger faith. Think of doubting Thomas. Just after Jesus is raised from the dead, he's heard the message of Christ. He's heard the message that Christ is risen from the dead, but what's his response? Unless I physically encounter this miracle, then I won't believe it. And we can think this way as well. Perhaps would think, if, if you give me this raise, God, then I'll serve you more fully, more happily. If you help me win this big game, God, I promise I'll pray to you more often. If an exciting new ministry starts in the church, God, then I'll start giving my time to you more fully. But Jesus' response is, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put God to the test saying, if you do this, God, I will respond in this way. Instead, our prayer should be, because God has already done great things, I'll serve him and worship him. Because of our knowledge of the word of God and what we've already seen him do in the world and in our lives, we have all the motivation we need to trust him. So uh, the devil tempts Jesus to jump off the top of the temple, but, but Jesus certainly would have been thinking, he knows that God could save him, but he knows that God is, is good to him without him needing to do that. So rather than testing God, Uh, Jesus um, refuses the devil's uh, temptation. I think about church in this way sometimes. And I know that, that so many people are contributing in massive ways to our church. So thankful for all of the effort and energy and money that goes into the ministry of this church But I know that there are are still so many who just sit on the sidelines. And it's actually, I think, a way of testing God. Maybe some people would think in their minds, uh, thinking about our church, Ammon Valley, if the church got really exciting and if it, it just started to grow like crazy, then there would be something that I would get excited about. 
Brothers and sisters, do you need this church to double in size before you get excited about what God is doing here? God could do that. Just like God could have saved Jesus in a miraculous way, he could make Ammon Valley grow by sending his spirit and power and drawing more people into our fellowship. But the purpose of Jesus' answer is that we don't need for that to happen to trust God and serve him. That we don't need for the spectacular, in a worldly sense, to happen among us if we're going to faithfully serve God. We don't need for God to pass a test before we believe that he's a great God. Think of what he has already done, and you will feel no need at all to ever test God. The third temptation, the temptation to rule. Now, certainly authority isn't necessarily a bad thing. Christ is in, has all authority over heaven and earth now in his resurrected, ascended state. But here's how the devil tempts him in the wilderness. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So this week, there was a lot of attention to the glorious kingdoms of this world, wasn't there? King Charles III coronated during an impressive, lavish ceremony. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's not what Jesus wanted for his first ministry in this world. We could pile up verses about the humility of Christ's earthly life. His kingdom, he said, is not of this world. He told his disciples, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We're told that Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. In Matthew 8, verse 20, Jesus described himself saying, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He says uh, the foxes have holes and and they have a place to sleep. They have a, a home of their own, but he contrasts that with his own earthly life, saying, I don't, I don't have a place to lay my head. What a contrast to um, this temptation. So isn't the temptation of ruling so powerful when we are in the wilderness? The temptation of Wanting control is especially powerful when we're in a wilderness of spiritual struggle. You could waste an entire day, you could waste an entire week, you could waste your whole life wondering about how things might be so much different and so much better if you were in charge. It's an audacious way to think, but at times we all do it, don't we? If only I was on the throne, if only I was in charge, if only people would listen to me, things would be so much better. That's not just a way of distrusting other people, it's ultimately a way of not trusting God. And Jesus' response to that temptation is is so perfect as everything Jesus did was, worship the Lord and serve him only. Worship the Lord. So this is different than just the call to go to church. Sometimes we would hear worship the Lord and serve him only and 
That term worship has a very narrow understanding in the American church today, unfortunately. Jesus isn't just referring here to going to church. He's calling us to worship God with our whole lives, to serve him with our whole lives, to pray to him, to sing to him, to teach others about him, to worship him in your work, to worship him at home, of course, especially to worship him also in corporate gatherings every week. But, but what a contrast to the desire for power. Brothers and sisters, worship is the opposite of needing to be in charge. Worship is the opposite of you thinking, I need more power. Worship is the opposite because in here you, you come to this place and say, I'm not in control. I'm a sinner and I, I worship God who is. And hopefully in every worship service you could say, thanks be to God, because you're the king and I'm not. Worship the Lord and serve him only. In each temptation, the devil is trying to convince Jesus that the Father is not giving Jesus something that he needs at the moment. In each of Jesus' responses, he tells Satan that what the Father is providing is good enough for him right now. So each of us has needs, and we come to God with those needs. And at times we have physical needs. And remember, Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so God desires to provide for physical and spiritual needs. But here we have his ultimate answer Again, pointing us to the core issue, the spiritual need, the call to worship God and serve him only. When you worship, you are proclaiming that Christ is the king, that you're not. You're proclaiming that God is faithful and he is worthy of your worship, even if you're having a difficult day, a difficult week, if you're feeling weary. um, As the scriptures remind us, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So coming into worship, even as a person in need, is refreshing for the soul. In worship, you'll sing songs. You'll receive spiritual lessons that you might not have chosen for yourself. But those are the songs and the spiritual lessons that God has designed for you to hear today and to to participate in. So worship, again, is the opposite of needing to be in charge. In worship, we are, are led. That's something that I'm greatly looking forward to in my sabbatical time, is to just be led in worship, not be the one who picks the passage and contributes to picking some songs and, and, and leads, but, but be one who is led, led by the Spirit of God, led by other people. And it's good for me as a minister to have that. And in Christian worship, your profession is that you are glad that you're not the one who the whole world depends on. That in in worship we recognize that we're thankful that we're not the ones who the whole world looks to for wisdom and truth and love and justice and guidance and peace. That's God. And he's providing all those good things for us as he desires. So the last verse that we read as we close, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Do you believe that this could happen for you when you're tempted? Resist the devil and he will flee. 
You might not expect that a sermon about temptation would be encouraging, but I hope that this one is. So brothers and sisters, be of good courage. God is with you. You have the Word of God. You know the Word of God. If God's Spirit is at work in you, you have the anointing of Christ, the mind of Christ. You have the, the resurrection of power at work in you, and He who is, is, is in you is greater than He who is in the world. The Lord will bless you with strength to resist temptation and live for Him. We are Christians. We're like Christ, receiving His Spirit. Not just so that we would be saved and go to heaven someday, but we receive His Spirit so that we would resist temptation in the ways that He did. Using the Word of God, filling our minds with the Word of God in response to any of the devil's attacks. So when you're tempted, trust God. When you're tempted, believe the Word of God. Worship the Lord and serve Him only, and He will be faithful to take care of you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.